0: I'm Autumn Lockett,
1: and this is Mitch Randall,
0: and you're listening to Good Faith
2: Weekly.
1: Welcome to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up, talk about uh, the current events of this week, and then later on in the pod, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Amber Schmidtke, who is a microbiologist and immunologist from Kansas. We've had her on the show before, and she is filled with incredible information concerning COVID-19. And now the vaccine. So you want to stay tuned for the interview. Autumn, how are things uh, in your neck of the woods?
0: It is a wild dash, as it always is this time of year. We have four kids, so making sure that we have Teacher presents and Christmas party attire, and of course, coordinating Christmas masks to wear to school has been really the top of my priority list this week.
1: Wow, you know, I didn't even think about the fun Christmas mask uh, out there today. So, what are your kids wearing? Are they wearing like, are are they going elfish? Are they going Santa? Or, you know, I know how holy and righteous uh, you know you and your husband are, so I'm sure you're going with the nativity scene draped across the mouths and nose (laughs) of your children.
0: Well, my oldest son is seven, so he's all into Minecraft Santa, so it's <laughs> okay. like Santa, but if you hold your eyes just right, it's sure. like a pixelated version, gotcha. um, but you know, we did get them all cleaned up last night, and I ironed for the first time, I think, in nine months, and they had their little uh, sports jackets on and their Christmas dresses, and they recorded away in a manger for our church service on Sunday.
1: Oh, how sweet. That is so, so sweet. It's so, you, you, I had to think there for a second. You mentioned that an iron i don't even know where our iron is <laughs>
0: right i had to go ours was making a funny smell. it was like i don't really
2: know what this is <laughs> oh
1: my goodness so well good well i'm glad the kids are, are having that experience and, and that'll be really enjoyable well in the news this week uh some interesting stories uh first what is going on at the wall street journal uh uh an op-ed was written targeting Dr. Jill Biden, uh, calling her or basically requesting that she does not use the title "doctor" because, in this journalist opinion, and it's hard for me to call this person a journalist. Uh, but in this person's opinion, um, that holding a PhD is not the equivalent of being a medical doctor, and therefore the uh, the the title "doctor" should not be used when talking about her it was
0: And how do you feel about that dr randall
1: you know uh, it <laughs> <laughs> I, I i i love the fact that i have my doctorate it's nice when people call me dr randall but when people ask me i tell them to call me mitch um it is something sure. that i worked hard for it's something that i put a lot of time and energy in um i'm proud of 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 that achievement um and, you know, it is also a sign of respect. Uh, and to me, that is that is at the heart of this this article that the Wall Street Journal published, is that if Dr. Biden were a man, I don't think that article would have gotten published by the Wall Street Journal. I think simply no, for not. the fact that Dr. Jill Biden is a female, uh, that it was even allowed to see the light of day in their publication. Um and so, you know, i I was really blown away by it. I thought it was it was nonsensical and rude, and just shouldn't have been printed in the first place,
0: yeah. and and to like what end? Like, I don't understand what the purpose of it was. Like I, it's just it's so ugly. And you know, as a woman, Um, I can speak that I do not have a doctorate. Um, so you don't, you can just call me queen. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, well we
1: can do that. Yeah. You and Beyonce. (laughs) We'll just, yeah. We'll lump you in there.
0: Um, but you know, we deal with a lot of imposter syndrome anyway, Mm -hmm. when we find ourselves in places with even, you know, other women and men who we are just as qualified, you know, to be in the room with it, it's hard to, you know, speak up, to sit up at the table and then, to have someone um, really put words on what we think is going on underneath the current, you know, underneath the surface of of every room that we're in, it's just harmful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of harmful, uh, protests broke out uh, over the weekend in Washington D.C., our nation's capital. Those uh, groups that are supporting President Trump's attempt to thwart our democratic system by overthrowing the election. Uh, gathered in our nation's capital to protest. And for the most part, they were peaceful, but then it got ugly. And uh, part of the the most, uh, I guess, egregious part of their protest is them ripping off Black Lives Matter signs from uh, in, from doors of churches in particular Asbury United Methodist Church who has a long history of civil rights advocacy and work within our nation's capital ripping those signs off and burning them in effigy um, and it was a horrible sight to to look at uh, it just uh, reinstates that whether, you think President uh, Trump is a racist or not? The very fact that racists think he's a racist <laughs> should say uh, all there is to to, to that uh, conversation. But it was just despicable. I mean, just you know, just f- for them to do that shows exactly who they are. Uh, I will say this: I haven't lost one ounce of respect for them.
0: <laughs> You'd have to have some to begin with, huh? <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm
0: I'm hopeful that we can get some leadership that will call a spade a spade and will not just tell these folks to stand down, but will actually reprimand and um, speak truth to this injustice that's continued to rear its head and has been emboldened over the past four years.
1: Yeah. And just the rhetoric that was coming out of that. those rallies at the nation capital over the weekend. Um, And I don't even want to mention their names because I just want to give them that kind of credence. But uh, one of the speakers uh, who is notorious uh, online presence uh, talked about, you know, that uh, somehow some way uh, Joe Biden's going to answer for his actions. And it was just this, it wasn't even a veiled threat of violence. And it's like, if if they're really going to say that, Uh, It's time for the Secret Service to start doing what the Secret Service does (laughs) and start investigating people when they make these kind of statements. And I'm uh,
0: hopeful that they are.
1: Yeah, I'm hopeful too. And I'm just, Rick, you know, I agree with you. I'm I'm ready for some sense of normalcy uh, because the last four years have been abnormal and I had to continue to keep reminding myself this is not normal. And uh, hopefully with a Biden presidency uh, that – They'll they'll go back to their old ways of just arguing. Right, exactly. So, um, but there's good news uh, in the headlines Finally. this week that uh, the vaccine is being rolled out all across uh, the globe. Uh, Britain was the first to uh, approve a new vaccine, and citizens in the UK started receiving it last week. Uh, uh, American citizens started receiving the Pfizer vaccine this week. And so it's just been really, really nice to see people on television and photos of them and reading about it in the newspaper, Uh, people starting to get the vaccine. It's just, it's really wonderful to see.
0: Yeah, it is. I have several friends who work in healthcare and have watched their selfies with their band-aids rolling Mm -hmm. out. And so far, you know, uh, they've been really good about sharing how it's, you know, what their response to the vaccine has been. And you and I both have a coworker who was in a trial um, a few months ago. And, you know, it was interesting to read his account, but so far people are just saying a sore arm and, you know, a bright smile that maybe this is um, sort of a a bright spot, and we can start moving back toward normalcy.
1: Yeah, there was a, just this morning uh, uh, in the Thursday headlines uh, there were two health care workers in Alaska that had reactions to the vaccine. Uh, they were serious, but uh, nothing life threatening. Uh, they were watched um, and observed uh, after receiving the vaccine. Uh, one of um, the individuals said that they just felt flushed uh, about 10 seconds mm. after receiving the vaccine, but uh, they're doing well uh, and yeah. full recovery. Uh, but, um, you know, I, th- I think this is this is going to be great. And so we're looking forward to it uh, as soon as, uh, you know, here's what we should do is uh, when we get the vaccine, you know, we need to bring a microphone along and, and we can record it and uh, yes, do that for the pod. I love that. Well,
0: yeah, that'd, that'd be great. I'm happy to do it. Listen, if Al Roker can like film his colonoscopy, why <laughs> shouldn't he film Our vaccine, another vaccine is rolling out. I heard on NPR this morning, the Moderna one is getting really close. They expect the FDA to approve it for emergency use. And Mm -hmm. it, um, you know, according to all the reports, has even less side effects Mm -hmm. than the Pfizer vaccine. And it's not quite as fussy about storage and all that business. So Mm -hmm. just exciting. And our conversation that's going to follow this this, uh, conversation with Dr. Schmidtke is just enlightening. Um, it, it's always great when a, a microbiologist is giddy, <laughs>
1: and she's giddy. <laughs> she is giddy about this vaccine, and, uh, and not to oversell it, but you and I were just in awe of our conversation with her. Uh, here in a second, uh, when you know, when we go into the interview. You're going to learn things, uh, listeners, that are going to blow your mind. Over the last Mm -hmm. nine months, science has been doing some incredible things. Not only is this vaccine going to battle COVID-19, but so many other things have come out of the research. Uh, that are down the road. Uh, No spoilers. I'm not going to say anything about it, but it's just really, really remarkable. And so, yay, science. Good job, guys. You're doing good work. Thanks. Appreciate it.
0: I know. After our interview with Amber, I went, to my, where my husband is working from home. And I like sat down in the chair. I was like, listen to all these things that are happening.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. I felt a little bit like
0: John the Baptist. Yeah. Right? Make way. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was, yeah. I had a, fo- a phone call, uh, conversation last night with my, with my dad. And I was just telling him everything that Dr. Schmitke was telling us. It's just unbelievable. You're not going to believe what yeah. everything's happening. So, so at any rate, uh, you're going to want to stay tuned for our interview with Dr. Amber Schmitke. Uh, it is absolutely enlightening. So uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we have our very first return guest. We're so excited about this. It's that's right. Dr. Amber Schmitke is uh, tuning in all the way from Kansas City, Kansas, uh, just outside of Kansas City, I should say. Uh, Dr. Schmitke was with us early on during the pandemic and did a great job explaining exactly what the virus was, educating us on. Uh, Precautions during that time, but we've had so many months pass since then, and we find ourselves in the middle of the darkest wave yet of this pandemic. And we thought during the holidays, uh, because people are traveling, there's a temptation to get together, and this large wave that we're seeing, it would be great to have. Uh, Dr. Smitke back on the program. So Dr. Smitke is a medical educator and science communicator. She is, uh, her degrees are in medical microbiology and immunology, and she is an absolute delight. So Dr. Smitke, welcome back to Good Faith Weekly.
2: Hey, thank you. What an honor to be your first repeat. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to be back.
1: Well, we're glad that uh, you're with us.
0: It turns out you were right about 100% of the things that you told us. (laughs) Um, And so we wanted to have you back to get some more predictions.
1: Mm, Autumn, are you you saying scientists actually know what they're talking about?
0: I mean, (laughs) yes.
1: Okay, excellent. So, Well, Dr. Schmitke, uh as I stated in the intro, uh, first time we had you on, it was early on the pandemic. You did such a great job describing to our listeners what this virus was, precautions that they needed to take, uh, kind of what to expect in the upcoming months. Well, now we've gone through an entire summer series where things tamped down a little bit. The virus didn't go away. We had some hot spots across the country, across the globe, when it came to um, uh, people... Uh, suffering from the virus, and now we find ourselves as President, like Joe Biden, has described the darkest days of this pandemic. Uh, with um, you know people uh, coming down with the disease in record numbers, unfortunately, the uh, with that uh, deaths are on the rise as well. We had uh, one day, I think last week, or at least at least one day where we had over 3,000 deaths in the U.S. uh, directly associated with the virus. We've all been affected by it. My grandfather uh, passed away last month from COVID-19 in Missouri, and uh, just more and more uh, stories like that are starting to uh, emerge. So here we are. Tell us a little bit about where we are currently uh, with the virus. Uh, Obviously, there's some hope on the horizon. We're going to get to that later in the interview. But uh, where are we? Are we in the second, third, fourth? Where are we in this pandemic?
2: Sure. So I think the way I've been describing it is we're still in the first wave Mm. um, because we never really got this virus under control on a national level. We've never gone back down to baseline. Um, So it's sort of like we're in the third peak of the first wave. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, other countries have been able to tamp it down. And of course, they've had flare ups. Um, But they were able to tamp it down, and we, we unfortunately, were never really successful with that. What's different about this surge, though, compared to the ones that have happened before, is the other ones were very regionally focused. You know, they were, in the spring, it was really the northeast um, that was taking the brunt of it. Um, In the summer, it was the south, um, or really the sunbelt, all the way from coast to coast. Um, But this one's different in the sense that it started in the upper plains and midwest, and then spread out and down. And so, what's different is the scope of it. Um, it's so big, it's so massive and dispersed this time um, that you know it's harder to call in reinforcements from other areas, whether it's supplies, equipment, uh, personnel, like healthcare workers that can come and pitch in. Um, you know, everybody is needed where they are, so it's a lot harder to lean on one another um, when you have this surge happening the way it is.
1: So, what I heard you just say there, right. uh, and you mentioned the Upper Plains. Um, it's not a good idea for thousands and thousands of motorcycle ryker, uh, riders to get together in South Dakota uh, without masks and social distancing. Uh, events like that are super spreaders. And that's one of the things that's been amazing to me, especially in the last few weeks, is uh, scientists have been able to look back and pinpoint moments that have become super spreaders. There was also a, another event in Boston that people are talking a, a lot about where all of a sudden these gatherings uh, began to, to uh, emerge as a super spreader and then it just, it, it kind of unleashes across the entire country.
2: Yeah, and you know, what's interesting is, you know, as far as the Sturgis rally, I don't think that the rally itself was the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem was the people that then went into restaurants and bars to hang out with each other, right. um, sort of ancillary events attached to the the larger event. Mm-hmm. Um, the event in Boston was a conference of, uh, I think it was medical professionals. Right. Um, and being in that indoor space together for long periods of time You know, the indoor piece is really the thing that sort of links all these things together um, in terms of the spread of the disease. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I'm uh, generally speaking, I'm okay with outdoor rallies and things like that. The danger is when you go inside. um, And and so that's where we worry about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the last time we talked, we talked um, sort of about nationally what was happening. And we also talked sort of in your own community. So can you tell us a little bit about how your local community looks versus um, the, the national platform?
2: Sure. So right now, uh, my husband is in the Air Force and we're stationed at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, and which is just outside of Kansas City. Uh, we love it here. We asked to come here. Um, and so we're excited to be back. Um, but what I've noticed is there's kind of a lack of mass culture in my community, um, not necessarily the Army. The Army is great at this stuff, um, and it's a paradigm where people... Obey orders, which is kind of great, um, <laughs> but um, the surrounding community, you know, it's it's a fantastic town, but there has been a reluctance to abide by the mask mandate that's been set forth by the governor, um, and each county had the opportunity to opt out of those mandates, and so that's been a little bit disappointing. Um, and you know, it's unfortunately really kind of limited where we feel comfortable shopping, where we co- feel comfortable ordering food from. We mm. want to support our local businesses as much as we possibly can. We want them to survive this pandemic, but it has made it a challenge. Um, but I, I've been real heartened by how the Army, in particular, has has taken this as seriously as they have. Um, you know, we've always known to lean on each other during difficult times, and you see that in the pandemic as well. Um, so even if we can't gather together in people's homes, there's fire pits every Friday <laughs> where <laughs> people gather. We're all six feet apart from one another, but we just need that sense of community. And I, I've always been uh, had such admiration for the way that the military family takes care of itself.
1: You know, Dr. Schmicki, last week we had uh, John Barry on the podcast, and John wrote the book, The Great Influenza. Uh, he um, detailed the events of the 1918 pandemic, and... It's hard, it, it's a little bit of apples and oranges here, uh, but one of the things that was interesting was that virus moved so rapidly, so quickly, it was so contagious, and it caused so much devastation that, I mean, people were 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 fighting to try to lock everything down. Now, there were some, some spots, such as in Philadelphia, where they, they didn't lock down soon enough and the virus exploded in those cities. But for the most part, because it was so detrimental and devastating to communities, I mean, people were looking at closing things down, people were wearing masks, they were trying to shut that down, shut the spread of the virus down as quickly as possible. You mentioned a little bit of a reluctance by some people in our communities uh, to do that. Are the safeguards still the same as when we talked back uh, in in the spring? Uh, Social distancing, masking, washing of hands. uh, Are are those the safeguards that we need to be practicing? Don't get into groups. I mean, we've got the holidays coming up. and We just got through Thanksgiving. We've got Christmas next week. What are your suggestions on staying safe uh, today during this dark wave?
2: Sure, so a lot of the same public health precautions that were put forth back then are still in place and recommended. Um, As we've learned more about the virus, um, it doesn't seem that fomite transmission or contaminated surfaces are the main driver of infection. It is more of the respiratory droplets and airborne um, sort of transmission routes. That's not to say that we don't need to continue to clean surfaces, but I I don't know that that's the best place to invest your money if you're thinking about um, how your business is Going to survive um, for example I'd really rather you get a great ventilation system for your building <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, what I will say is you know with the holidays coming up um, it's really tough advice right now we're having to really caution people against gathering together in a time of year that is so dark generally because of you know mm-hmm. the winter and the decreased sunlight and and but add to that the the compounding factors of all of the deaths that we've experienced and just the holidays. This is a time when people want to gather. And unfortunately we're in a place where we really need to be very careful about doing so. Um, what I've been telling my readers in particular is if you are planning to gather, cause I'm a, I'm a mom, I want everybody to just stay home and be safe, but I'm a realist too. Sure. I know that's not going to happen. And so, um, if you are going to gather, try as much as you can to do that gathering outside, um, or if you have to stay inside because the weather isn't s- sustainable for that, try to have an open window. Um, anything you can do to avoid rebreathing the air that somebody has just exhaled is what you're mm-hmm. trying to avoid um, because that could potentially be carrying viral particles. Um, so that, of course... Um, keeping your gatherings small as much as you can. If you are planning to gather for Christmas um, or related holidays, you know, really lay low, um, avoid transmission as much as you can between now and then. Um, hopefully you've already been doing that, but uh, you know, keep up that good work. So, yeah, I wish I had faster solutions for a lot of the things that we're experiencing. But just because a solution is slow doesn't mean it's wrong.
1: You know, President-elect Joe Biden just the other day talked about his first 100 days in office, uh, which will begin in January. He talked about the importance of wearing masks for those first 100 days Um, because there's been such pushback. We live in a state, uh, Autumn and I do, of Oklahoma, where the governor has resisted uh, and almost defiantly uh, resisted a mask mandate for the entire state. And similar to Kansas, then you have municipalities and townships that are making that decision on their own. But if my town decides to have a mask mandate, the town right next to me doesn't. You know, (laughs) there's some crossover there, obviously, especially in my metropolitan area, but Do you think a national mask mandate would benefit or hurt the spread of the virus at this point?
2: Uh, Without question, it would help uh, immensely. Um, I think that we've got a a weird thing going on right now where people want to have their cake and eat it too. Um, They want life back to normal, but they're unwilling to do the work to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, you know, wearing a mask is a relatively easy thing um, for us to get back to normal. You know, we all want to, like I said earlier, we all want to support these businesses, uh, big, small, local, distant. um, And we could do that a whole lot more successfully if we could get more buy-in to, wearing masks um, among other things. But you know, that would that would really help a lot of people. So if you care about the businesses in your community, wear your masks so that they can stay open for as long as possible.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One thing that John Barry talked about when we spoke with him last week was uh, not only was the flu in 1918 really fast moving and the death, you know, death occurred pretty quickly um, after you you were infected, but there were also more outward signs. People are, like, gushing blood from their facial orifices. And I just wonder if COVID-19 were a little more, um, you know, tangible, if people would be more willing to wear masks. And, and you know, as someone in the medical profession, how can we convey, how, how can we continue to convey to people that it is serious, even if people aren't squirting blood out of their eyeballs?
2: Yeah. um, Okay, so there's two things to unpack here. Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, one of the I don't wanna change anything about this pandemic to make it worse, of course. What I'm saying though is I wish in some ways that we could see the consequences of our actions in a more immediate fashion. Um, With this disease, because it has an incubation period, the exposures that we have or that we pass on to others, they don't bear fruit until a week or two later potentially. And so I think if we could see the lives we're saving or the lives we're losing as we go about our day, we'd have a lot better adherence to to social distancing and all the public. Public health recommendations we've been we've been putting forth, but as far as how do we continue to convey the information uh, about how serious this is? I mean, just because the disease isn't outwardly uh, disturbing, I, I, it doesn't mean that it's an easy or painless death. Um, this is an excruciating death for the people that have it. Um, they are struggling to breathe. Um, they feel like they're suffocating and they're dying alone. Um, and I, you know, it's it's been amazing to me that people that that in itself doesn't move people to action um but you know it is what it is i it's a uh, you know some of the unfortunate moral failings that i think that this pandemic have ex- has exposed is not something that me as a public health person can really solve um but you know it, it has as a person of faith and a person who has witnessed this happening around m- myself it, it's been hard to watch honestly and mm-hmm. to um that it does that the things that move me are not moving other people
1: yeah, yeah. You know, Dr. Schmicke, it was up to this, up, up to last month for me, you know, I was advocating for mask wearing, social distancing, uh, every precaution that uh, you and your colleagues have been suggesting since the beginning of this pandemic, that we needed to do this. And I uh, did it more as a, I guess, a, a preacher or prophet saying, this is what we need to do to, to help save lives. And then my grandfather died. That's a direct result from COVID-19, uh, the greatest man that I've ever met in my life, and talk to him, uh, talked about him a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. But I have to admit something to you now. Now, when I see people not wearing a mask, whether I have to go to the grocery store or the post office, and I'm masked up, I you know, keep my distance, but when I see people overtly... Um, shucking their human responsibility to take care of their brothers and sisters that they live with in their neighborhoods and towns. I have to admit to you, I am really angry at them and I'm, it's something I got to confess and I got to work on it, but I'm really ticked at them. It's just like, you don't understand Maybe it hasn't become personal for them yet. Uh, but it has for me. Both my mom and dad have contracted COVID 19. Uh, they recovered, thank God. My grandfather died. If somehow, some way, people could hear these stories and understand this is deeply personal because we're losing lives. And I'm just a microcosm of that.
2: Right. And first of all, I'm so very sorry for your loss um, and, and for the difficulty that this pandemic presents in our ability to grieve. Um, you know, because we're supposed to be socially distant, it's so much harder to gather with the people that would provide us comfort um, during this time. So my heart goes out to you and to your family. I'm so glad to know that your parents are OK um, and hopefully everybody else in your family can remain safe and. Um, it's you're right. I mean, I get angry, too. You know, and and the thing is, we just recorded uh, our we just surpassed the 300,000 number for our total fatalities. And th- those are, of course, incredibly sad on their own. But that's also 300,000 families um, that are going through such a dark time right now who have had to go through the mental anguish of of loss and grief. And um, I, I hate so much that we have to have this personal experience with the disease before people kind of wake up to the reality of it. Um, and I wish so much that we could learn from the loss of others. Um, and really what I've been imploring my readers and followers to do is honor the lives of those we've lost by making the decisions that they no longer can, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, Um, The safety precautions and the care for your community, like you're talking about, you know, having love for your neighbors and um, our brothers and sisters that are out there fighting this infection on the front lines, or checking out our groceries for us or doing all the things that it takes to keep this country and this community going um, at great personal risk. So yeah, I agree. And I, I'm sorry, again, for your loss. I'm sorry for your anger. Um, but it, I think it's a justified anger. <laughs> um, we just have yeah. to figure out ways to channel it into something that's productive.
1: Yeah. And it's just, it's, yeah. I'm seeing more and more uh, stories coming out comparing this figure of 300,000 deaths in the United States. Um more than the Korean War, which was 36,000, more than Vietnam, which was 58,000, more than World War I, which was 116. By the time it's over, we're going to surpass World War II, which was a little over 400,000. Uh, thank God we're not going to get anywhere close to the 1918 pandemic or the Civil War, which was at 750,000. But this is a major significant moment, and I just want people to come together together to, to battle this thing. This thing has been politicized. Uh, I'm gonna lay blame where I think it deserved, and that's at President Trump's feet. He politicized this early and often. And this is not, this should never have been politicized. This is something that, sh- w- that should have brought us together and that we could combat this thing and and prevent it. And it just it never developed. And I'm hopeful in the future that we can come together, uh, but I'm afraid the cat's already out of the bag on it, and we're going to have to deal with it. But uh, the, the numbers themselves are just uh, uh, just astronomical at, at 300,000. So. But there's hope, Dr. Schmidke. Uh, yes, just there <laughs> yesterday, uh, there was the vaccine. People walked around, actually, with Band-Aids on their arms after receiving the first dose of, of the vaccine. So tell us a little bit about the, the vaccine and, and what you know about it.
2: Sure. So, my goodness, you know, usually Halloween is my favorite day on social media. I love seeing all those kids <laughs> in their that. costumes. I love watching them grow up, friends or kids of my friends and such. But yesterday was the most joy I have experienced on social media because I am connected to so many doctors and healthcare workers and and such. And seeing them get their vaccine and knowing what that means was um, just such a morale boost. And you you see glimpses of the future that we get to have. Um, um, and I, you know it's the beginning of the end of this pandemic mm-hmm. and and the end of the pandemic is not going to be an overnight Situation. It's going to take months for us to get there. But this is much needed hope, um, and I'm so excited for it. Um, so this vaccine, um, there's, so the Pfizer one has been authorized. That's the one that's going into people's arms right now. Um, the Moderna one is probably going to be authorized this week. Um, and what is neat about these two vaccines is they're a different technology than we've had in the past. Um, you know, usually we put, like, short, sort of dead versions of a virus into a vaccine, and we use that. This is a different mechanism altogether. It's called an RNA vaccine where we just put the sort of the, the message of one of the genes that codes for a protein, the one that is the spiky thing on the outside of the viral particle. Mm. And we, that's what we're injecting. And on itself, that, that, that piece of RNA can't do a thing on its own. Um, but when it gets into your cells, your ribosomes, which are the little proteins that make other proteins, um, they see it and they, they start making it. Um, and then that gets put on the outside of your cells and your immune system has a chance to recognize it. Um, what's cool about this, though, is that it has implications for uh, something like a universal flu vaccine. I mean, can you imagine just getting one shot and being done? No for, way. Yes. Mean, really? For like 10 years, 15 years. That'd oh, be my gosh. That would be um, amazing but also the hiv vaccine we have never had a successful hiv vaccine Uh and i cannot tell you how many lives that will save how many how much um suffering that will prevent um what a big deal that could possibly be so um what's really kind of exciting about this time is it was only a year ago that we had the first documented case of COVID-19 in a patient in China. And in that time, we have sequenced the genome of this virus. Um, We have uh, made not just one, but at least three vaccines that are close to emergency use authorization and several to follow. And we're already deploying it. So it's been an incredible breakthrough of science and, um, you know, ingenuity and things like that. And but because of the crisis of this moment, there's been a lot more willingness to try new things. And that's what this new technology of the vaccine is really. Um, I think that's going to be the most profound impact is the way that it will touch every other way that we combat illness.
1: Wow. That it's is a exciting. It's
2: vaccine renaissance. <laughs> it is. I'm sorry. I, I am nerding out in a big way, but I am so excited for this vaccine. And I, it's just, I can't say enough good things about what this means for us.
1: So
0: I had a quick question. I have a, a kiddo who's in, according to some of the, like the British, they're, they're categorizing their, um, like, not a comorbidity, but, but people who are at risk, I guess, are higher risk with COVID differently. So uh, my seven-year-old has epilepsy. And so, but he's seven. And so far, this vaccine really is just for people 16 and older. Can you speak to when our little ones might uh, be approved to get this?
2: Sure. So, you know, typically children aren't included in a lot of vaccine trials um, and pregnant women aren't included in vaccine trials. And just because of the ethical sort of thing about this, you know, like how, how, are, how do we wrap our minds around doing this with people who are in sort of a delicate position, right? And so um, we don't have a lot of data on what's going on with kids but the thing about an emergency use authorization is it does not mean that it's been fda approved they still have to submit data to the fda so we will probably be getting more data on children they may be expanding their clinical trials now um to look at that sort of thing i talked about it with my kids i asked them would you be interested in participating in a trial if it was offered to a child like you and they both said yes um and i you know part of me of course is a very proud parent but I, i i hope that's genuine um But what I will say, though, Autumn, is, you know, I don't think that kids uh, without a comorbidity are going to be very close to the front of the line at all. Uh, But the fact that your child has a condition um, may move them up, um, which, of course, would provide great peace of mind, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that so far, thankfully, um, the more severe cases of COVID-19 have not manifested in children. Um, We have seen, you know, more rare instances where, of course, they do require hospitalization or something like that, but um, not nearly to the same extent as older populations. So I think that that's really where the priority is right now.
0: They're also a lot better at wearing their masks.
1: <laughs> yes, I they are. <laughs> just
2: not just blown away by the, this. I really thought this was going to be a struggle for kids, but they are all about it. I'm... I mean, my goodness, there's so much hope for our future when you see how well the kids have done with this. There's, Come on. And, if if, and when if kids, I was a kid
1: and, you know, you told me to wear a Zaro mask, I would have done that, you know, 24-7. I would have been fine with that. Yeah, we do
2: have <laughs>
0: baby Yoda masks and all kinds of my kids, you know, we don't take them to the store very often, but we popped in for something and... Someone had their, you know, their mask under their nose, and my three-year-old goes on your nose <laughs> I'm the cart. Mitch knows Ingrid, so he, he knows she's a sass, and the person moved it up. <laughs> That's right. That is amazing. I uh, love it.
1: Uh, it was great. Well, Doctor Smithkey, there is hope, and thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Um, it's been a, a long year. Twenty twenty is winding down. Uh, this virus, this pandemic, has taken its toll on everybody. Uh, but as you said, you know, e- even in the midst of this deep darkness that we have been encountering over 2020, there may be some really amazing things uh, evolve from it, and that is something to put our hope in and to get excited about as a new year uh, begins here in the next few weeks. If you want to know more about Dr. Smickey's work, uh, you can go to. Ad- Amber Schmitke, phd.substack.com. Uh, she is uh, monitoring what's going on in Georgia. She is formerly from Georgia, used to work for the CDC. And there is great, great information uh, there at her website. Uh, she's a great educator and communicator. So make certain uh, you log on to, to her site. Dr. Schmitke, there's always this final question that we ask uh, our guest. And I know you've been looking forward to it since we began this conversation. So Autumn, take it away.
0: Are you going to get the vaccine? No, I'm just getting back on the question. Of course you are. Um, our motto at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So what is your more to tell?
2: Um, what I will say, so yeah, first of all, yes, I am getting the vaccine as soon as it is made available to me. But okay, I'm
1: so but before this. you get to that, I got one question about that. Okay. Because right, especially the Pfizer vaccine, they have to keep it at like Arctic temperatures. Mm-hmm. Is that thing that cold when it goes in my arm? Because I'm totally going to get it, but (laughs) that seems really cold.
2: That's just how they store it. Right, right, mm-hmm. okay. right. And so, you know, when they take it out of the, the the deep cold storage, they have to administer whatever they've pulled within the next few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be stored at, at refrigerator temperature at that time. But for transport and for long-term storage, it has to be kept at that ultra-cold temperature. Right. That'll have important implications for reaching some of our more far-flung communities, yeah. like our rural communities, uh, where those refrigerators, or not refrigerators, but those ultra-freezers may not be available. Um, so But I, the Moderna vaccine that's coming up, right behind it doesn't require that ultra-cold storage. So that's why it's so important that we approve not just one vaccine, but several vaccines to meet all of those needs. Um, My something more is I, as we have this vaccine and as we're heading towards the end of this pandemic, and I'm very grateful for that, This is something that is going to be studied for decades to come, this period of time. And I've been thinking a lot about the history of what we've experienced. Of course, living through history is no fun whatsoever as it's happening. Um, But we need to leave a record of what happened um, for the people who are going to study this so that we can learn from it and prevent this sort of um, massive disruption of our lives from happening again. So what I would tell people who are listening to this podcast is write down your stories of what happened in this pandemic mm. and whether that is a social media post or a blog post or you submit your essay to some publisher or something like that, we need to, to, we need to provide a record of what happened so that people like Dr. Barry um, or Mr. Barry, forgive me, I don't know his title, um, who wrote that book that you talked to last week, have something to write about mm-hmm. so that we can learn better from what happened this time. Yeah.
1: Well, Such there you weird. have it. Wise, wise words from Dr. Amber Schmidtke. Thank you so much again for being our first repeat guest at Good Faith Weekly. Ooh. And uh, we want to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday. And uh, Dr. Schmidke, I'm not going to lie to you. I hope we don't have to talk to you again for a while. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I promise not to be offended I, by
1: that. I, I, I love <laughs> you. You are a great guest, but uh, I'm tired of this pandemic. So.
2: <laughs> Me too. You know what? Let's have a victory lap at some point in the future where we say, man, I'm glad that's over. But yes, I agree. Let's okay. be done with this thing. Absolutely. And you just remind us it's where our sunscreen will go to the beach.
1: There you go. That. There you go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in this week uh, to Good Faith Weekly. Uh, as always, we want to remind you, keep practicing good faith.